Are you concerned about the air that you're breathing, especially with increasing air pollution? We all know how vital indoor air quality is, and here's where Puro Air steps in to make the difference. Did you know that indoor air can be up to 100 times, 100 times dirtier than the air outside? That's where Puro Air comes to the rescue. In just 30 minutes, this revolutionary device can transform the air in your room by removing allergens, dust, smoke, dander, and gases. But what sets Puro Air apart is its cutting-edge HEPA-14 filter, a powerhouse that tackles pollutants at a microscopic level. And it's not just me saying that, Puro Air is backed by scientists from both Harvard and MIT. I personally loved having a Puro Air purifier. I feel like I can breathe again, especially after battling congestion for like the last month. Winter can be tough, but within an hour, it was crazy. I could feel my sinuses beginning to open up. I slept through the night without coughing, and I've been sleeping so much better now that we have a Puro Air running in our bedroom. So check it out at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time, getpuroair.com. We at the household level in the U.S. are the biggest, the ones the most responsible for food waste. We are responsible for almost 40% of the food waste that gets created. That means we can do something about it. So the one tip I would say is eat everything you buy, but that's harder than it seems to do. So one thing I, I talk about is store everything in your fridge in transparent containers. That's one example, because there's nothing worse than thinking you're gonna eat what you put in the, con- in the container, whether it's leftovers in your own house or restaurant takeout, and then finding a couple weeks later, you've got a moldy, unrecognizable mess in the back of your fridge. If you store things in transparent containers, then everyone can see, everyone in the house can see what's there, less likely to go to waste. Hello, and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. Today, we're diving into the world of the zero waste movement with my guest, Stephanie Miller, author of Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way. Stephanie, former director of climate business at the International Finance Corporation, combines professional expertise with personal experience to reveal how simple lifestyle changes can drive significant positive impact. Join me as Stephanie discusses actionable ways for busy individuals to create a profound difference by focusing on key areas, such as food choices, plastics reductions, and effective recycling, collectively known as the magic three. Listen in today to discover how your influence can extend beyond personal boundaries, fostering a ripple effect within your community. I haven't had an episode on zero waste in some time, so I'll be sure to link some of those episodes in the show notes if you're interested in going back through some of the archive and you're curious about sustainable living. Actually, a quick fun fact for you before we get into the conversation, my first email that I had sent after I took over the podcast, what, I think five or six years ago, my first email that I had sent was to zero waste icon, B. Johnson. If you scroll all the way back to episode 74, though I'm slightly hesitant for you to do so considering my interviewing skills at the time, but if you scroll all the way back, you'll find my interview with B. Anyways, you might be familiar with her because she was notable for fitting all of her trash into one mason jar over the year. So it's definitely worth a listen, as is this one with Stephanie Miller. So let's get into it. Well, 
Stephanie. I'm excited to have you here today to talk about your book, Zero Waste Living, The 80-20 Way. That is very appealing to me because some of your influences that you had when writing this book, someone like B. Johnson that has all of her trash in one mason jar at the end of the year, that seems overwhelming for the average person. So I think your book is very practical and I can't wait to hear some of your tips. But before we get there, why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself and tell me what inspired you to write this book? Yeah, absolutely. So great to be joining your podcast. I'm Stephanie Miller. I'm the founder of Zero Waste in DC. And as you said, the author of the book, Zero Waste Living the 80-20 Way. And the goal of my work is really to help people understand the individual actions they can take to actually have a profound impact on the waste and climate challenges. The reason I wrote the book is that when I was in my 25-year corporate career, About a decade of that, I was leading climate change mitigation for my organization, the private sector part of the World Bank, and I was helping governments. I was helping private sector be more sustainable, but I was very aware that I was not really focusing on what I could do in my own life. And to be honest, I probably wasn't because I wasn't sure it would make any difference. When I did start thinking about what I could do to make a difference, it felt a bit paralyzing. I hadn't yet read the book you mentioned, B. Johnson. I have now, and I devoured it, Zero Waste Home. It was inspirational kind of man on the moon stuff to be able to get your entire year's worth of garbage that gets landfilled into a mason jar. That's just incredible, right? It's an image that's hard to let go of. And after I left my 25-year career, I took some time off, read the book, someone introduced me to it, and started doing a lot of the actions that she and others recommended. And I was finding our garbage was going way down, but getting nowhere near that mason jars worth of trash for a week, let alone a year. And so I started doing a lot of research and started trying to answer that question for myself that had plagued me all those years in my job. How could I live my own life more sustainably? But essentially, I realized you don't have to do everything. You don't have to get to that mason jars worth of trash to really make a big difference. You also don't have to quit your job and be a climate activist to do it. You just have to focus on the most important things, the most impactful actions that are easy to incorporate into your life. So that's what I focus on. I do household consultations and talks and workshops to try to help people recognize what their own unique, sustainable lifestyle could look like. And I love that quote. It's, we don't need 10 people doing it perfectly. We need a million people doing it imperfectly because we're never going to reach perfection. And I like like how in your book you talk about how we really are never going to be able to get to a point of 100% zero waste because you use the example of cashews in a bulk section at a store. The cashews still need to be transported there. So even though you're doing good, there's still some waste on the opposite side. But it's just these little habits and challenges that we may be able to take on to do a little bit better than we did yesterday. Yeah. And some of those little things actually really add up. When someone asks me, you know, how do you get rid of the plastic? Okay, now I see what you mean, Stephanie. I've got a lot of single-use plastic in my life. What do I do? Where do I start? And I always tell people, pick one thing. My one thing was the plastic water bottle. I live in Washington, D.C. The quality of the water is good enough that I can drink the filtered water. When I was at my job, I was going from meeting to meeting. I was busy. I felt like I needed to grab that plastic water bottle from the meeting room. I was going through two, at least, of those a day. That adds up. Just me to 600 or more bottles that I was responsible for every year. So my 
one thing that I committed to was to get a stainless steel bottle. I carry it with me everywhere I go. Oh yeah, I see yours too. Essentially, when I forget it, I go thirsty because my commitment around it is I won't buy water in plastic bottles. So if I do go thirsty that day, I remember the next day and I'm no longer responsible for 600 plus plastic water bottles being recycled or not being recycled, but that's waste. So yes, it's little actions, but they can really add up. Yes. So you talk about your gap year and that's when you read B. Johnson's book. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? And again, maybe some of the first things that you started to implement in the 80-20 rule. So it was an interesting time for me when I suddenly, during this gap year, I have a 21-year-old son, but he was about 16 at the time. And I wanted to spend a bit of time with him before he headed off to college. But I, you know, teenagers don't want to hang out with their mom. So I had a lot of time on my hands. And I thought, let me start off this before I even read B. Johnson's book. Let me start off and see what I can do. And I had always been bothered by the single use plastic that I was taking home with my dry cleaning every week. And I looked it up and it was an incredible amount of that dry cleaning plastic packaging that ends up in landfills. And so I thought, what the heck, let me go to my dry cleaners, I know them by name, and ask if they'd be willing to, next week, put my clean clothes in my own reusable garment bag, which I brought with me that day. They said yes, and so I felt like I had a big coup, and that was great. I was no longer going to have this source of plastic in my life. And then I thought, there are a lot of other people, I would guess, in my neighborhood that would think like me, I hazarded that guess, but might also want to get rid of that plastic in their lives. So I went back to the dry cleaners a couple weeks later and I asked them would they be willing to introduce a reusable bag program at the cleaners and it's a husband wife team the husband is a businessman you know and he's like ah, I'm not sure I don't know if our customers want this the wife was gung-ho long story short they piloted it with 20 bags with their own logo on it the program totally took off. You walk in there today and they will tell you 40 to 50% of their customers use these reusable bags. So this happened really quickly and it felt like I was doing something that made a difference. And then that was the kind of snowballed from there. Then I looked for what's the next thing I could do? What's the next thing I could do? And pretty soon we were taking actions that, you know, my son at the time when he was living at home would be the one to take the garbage and the recycling to the curb every week. And he would say, mom, where's the garbage? Where's the recycling? There's hardly anything here. We weren't getting to that mason jar, but we were making a really big difference and that felt great. Yes, absolutely. You do write about the serial dilemma though. And I think this is something, if you want to share the story, what the serial dilemma is, I think a lot of us will come into circumstances like this in our own lives. So why don't you go ahead and explain it and then tell me how you continue to pursue 8020? Yeah. So the serial dilemma was my husband apparently goes through great quantities of cereal. And at the time, my son was living at home too. So I did what I call a recycle bin audit, which sounds really boring, but it's actually kind of fun to do once or twice in your life. You get a really good view of what your family is thinking is recyclable. So you check that recycle bin to see if it's actually the right stuff that the family's putting in there. But secondly, you look for alternatives that might be more sustainable. So the cereal story is, I did my recycle bin audit one week and I realized we had something like three or four, it was a weird week, I guess, but three or four cereal boxes. Okay, so the cardboard in the cereal boxes is pretty recyclable, but that plastic lining that's inside is not easily recyclable. You can bring that to some places like grocery stores that accept plastic bags, we'll take those, 
but not easily recycled. In fact, it's not recycled, it's kind of downcycled, but that's okay. Anyway, I realized, oh my goodness, maybe I could do better. And I asked my husband if he'd be willing to have me make granola instead. And he kind of made a face, he likes his cereal, but I made it one week and he loved it. it. Takes about 20 minutes to make. And so now, do I get it right every week? Do I always find time to make granola? No, but I make it and when I do, we sort of eliminate that source of plastic. There is one source I can't get rid of that I write about in the book, which is the raspberry dilemma. So my husband claims that he has to have raspberries. They're medicinal for him can't get them off this. And raspberries, as you know, come in clamshells almost the entire year, maybe a week or two out of the year. If you have a local farmer's market, they'll have it in the compostable punnets, the little containers, but most of the time it's in your grocery store in plastic clamshells. So what I like to say, and this kind of feeds into the 80-20 way, don't try to get to 100%, aim for the kind of 20% most impactful things you can do to get about 80% of the results you're looking for. For me, the plastic clamshells is not one of those things I'm targeting. I will end up with plastic clamshells every week in the recycle bin because my husband wants his raspberries. That's okay. Yeah, no, that's definitely okay. Not perfection. And you focus this book around what you call the magic three. It's a focus on food, purging plastics, and recycle right. And so maybe just give me a top tip or two from each of those sections of your book. Great, great question. So so the first one, focus on food. Everything around food waste was a very big aha moment for me. So when I talk about focus on food, I mean two things, a more plant-based diet and reducing your food waste. So I'll give you one tip from each of those categories. Focus on food in terms of a less carbon intensive diet doesn't necessarily mean going vegetarian. If you look at some of the carbon intensity of foods, beef is the highest up there, beef and lamb, and something like chicken or wild caught salmon is much less. So even though a vegetarian diet, for the most part, is the best way you can go from a carbon intensity perspective, you could choose tonight to make wild-caught salmon instead of beef. Just to give you a sense, one kilogram of beef is responsible for 60 kilograms of carbon emissions. One kilogram of wild-caught salmon is only responsible for three tons of carbon emissions. So there are choices to be made, nuances. doesn't have to be black and white. On the food waste front, big aha moment for me was that even though my job was around climate change mitigation, I had no idea that food waste is responsible for, depending on the source, 8 to 10% of global greenhouse gas emissions. And the reason for that is that when food ends up in landfills, it creates methane, which is a greenhouse gas much more powerful than CO2. So whatever we can do to reduce food waste at its source, this is the really exciting thing. We at the household level in the U.S. are the biggest, the ones most responsible for food waste. We are responsible for almost 40% of the food waste that gets created. That means we can do something about it. So the one tip I would say is eat everything you buy, but that's harder than it seems to do. So one thing I talk about is store everything in your fridge in transparent containers. That's one example, because There's nothing worse than thinking you're going to eat what you put in the container, whether it's leftovers in your own house or restaurant takeout, 
and then finding a couple weeks later you've got a moldy unrecognizable mess in the back of your fridge if you store things in transparent containers then everyone can see what's there less likely to go to waste lots of other tips i give around that i interviewed a couple of people one was mike viking he wrote the huga home and he lives in denmark but one of the things he said to help him reduce food waste he has a shelf in his fridge where it's like eat next he'll like assess his fridge every day and he's like oh i need to eat this tomorrow and he'll have that shelf of like this needs to go this is about to be expired and it helps him to cut down on food waste i have always struggled to meal plan because I'm like, maybe I don't want that. Maybe I don't want to eat that tonight. And so I'm like, I want to eat what I prefer tonight. But when I have followed through with the meal planning, or if I have a shelf like that to say, you have to eat the snacks, it's just like, sometimes we do this. And I tell my kids that sometimes too. It's like, maybe you don't love this vegetable I'm giving it to you. Sometimes I don't like what I eat either, but it's good for my body and I just need to do it. I don't want to do that with everything in life. I think it's nice to enjoy life, but sometimes you just do things to your benefit or not to be wasteful. Yes. And there's something else we can do. So first of all, I love that what you said about eat me next. I actually have a shelf in our fridge called eat me first. Okay. <laughs> uh, so really similar concept yeah. because even though you or I might know really well what's there and what should be eaten next, you have to find a way to communicate that with the rest of your family. So I find that's a really good shortcut. The other thing I was going to say is you should be able to eat what you want that night. If you've made a great big pot of chili, vegetable or not, and you don't want to eat it a third night in a row, don't eat it a third night in a row. But the greatest ally in your fight against food waste here is your freezer. So if you take that chili, put it in one meal of chili in a container in your freezer, it'll freeze really well. You will be so happy with yourself or whoever eats it will be happy a week or two later when they defrost it, they don't have to cook a whole meal. And then it's not the third night in a row of chili, it's the thing they haven't had in a while that night. So thinking of your freezer as your ally in this fight against food waste, I really love that concept. Doesn't work so well for lettuce, but it works really well for cooked foods. Well, I think with something like lettuce, I've had to just get honest with myself about, I used to eat so many salads and now I'm kind of out of that phase. I still love them, but it's like, you don't eat them as much anymore. So you don't need to get a box of greens every time you go to the store. Luckily now here in Ohio, we have a garden full where we can go out and get a salad if we want to. But I think it's interesting because we're having this conversation about zero waste, 80-20. And I don't think people stop to think about the food waste. This is a part of all of that. I think we detach that this is a benefit if we get intentional about this area of our life, that it actually is a benefit in this whole big area that we're discussing. You're absolutely right. It was not what I was focused on. Yeah. And I think a lot of the zero waste movement is focused on plastic for really good reasons. Plastic is an environmental issue, of course. It's also a human health issue. We're discovering microplastics in placenta. So lots of reasons to focus on plastic, but the food waste element is such, as I said, it was a surprise to me and I was focused on climate change, how much that can contribute to our climate issues, but also what an impact we can have at the household level. That's the exciting piece of it is when you don't just have this abstract problem that needs to be solved on a global level, but you realize what you do in your household can make a difference as well. For me, that's what I try to do is inspire people to realize those simple changes they can make that make a difference. For a lot of my listeners, I feel like they're on a journey to simplify their lives, but they don't want to sacrifice style, which I completely understand. And that's why I was excited to partner with HomeThreads. HomeThreads is the perfect blend of minimalism and comfort for your home. 
At HomeThreads.com, you can discover a curated collection of sleek and functional furniture that speaks to the heart of minimalist living, from multifunctional storage to timeless design. They have everything you need to create a clutter-free and serene space for your family. As most of you know, we've recently moved, and I'm not someone to just fill up a room so that it's done and decorated. I wanted to do this with intention, and so I searched out accent chairs on Home Threads and found the perfect mid-century modern chair that really complements my space. So embrace the beauty of less and elevate your home with purposeful pieces. Visit homethreads.com minimalist and get a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. Tacovis is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots, but they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity, and I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tacovis. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade. Handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico? And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. Just do a quick search for Tacovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tacovas.com, that's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com, and point your toes west. When we talk about plastics, again, this is one of your magic three. I think a lot about it is hard to completely avoid plastic, but I like the quote you included by Joshua Becker. He says, the most environmentally friendly product is the one that you didn't buy. And so when we're talking about, this is a minimalist principle, the consumption, what are we bringing in? I constantly am talking about, it's not just about decluttering your home. It's about recognizing what am I bringing in on the regular that's an issue. And so I think people think of the straw or the plastic bags at the grocery store. What are things that you buy out of being frivolous or thoughtless that you could cut those down? Yeah, I mean, I don't like to blame and shame people. Frivolous and thoughtless, yes, because we're busy, right? We're busy and we're trying to do the right things for our families. Maybe we want to put a good, healthy vegetables on the table and we see it pre-packaged, pre-sliced at our grocery store and we know that that will save us some time and it's important to just get that meal on the table. I was like that. I think when you recognize that there is something you can do about it, then you want to look for the things that are relatively easy to change in your life. I talked about the raspberries. That's not one I'm going to get to in my lifetime, but I now cut my own vegetables. And I shop, as we say in the zero waste world, shop naked, meaning I have my clothes on, but I shop for the produce that isn't packaged. It takes some effort. It takes effort to remember your own bags. I just put them inside the grocery bags I'm bringing to the grocery store anyway in the trunk of the car. But it's also an effort to have to avoid the peeling of the carrots and the slicing of the carrots and the zucchini when it's already prepared in the grocery store. Are you willing to make that commitment? I am. Other people may not be. So I don't like to blame and shame. I like for people to think about where are the areas where they could make the most difference because these are the things they're bringing in the most often Stephanie, into their homes. We are different people. I like to blame and shame. No, I'm just kidding. I think I have to look at myself and say, there are things that are convicting to me and I don't address because it may take a little bit more effort, but I always want the show to be 
I love your approach and I want to understand people. And I also want it to be a motivation to say like, if there is something that is speaking to you, don't ignore that feeling. So I guess I am tough love, but I understand and have mercy and grace for people. So I guess I'm a good, we're a good balance, Stephanie. Yes, yes. No, it's actually, it's interesting. The distinction I make is I probably do blame and shame myself, but I don't blame and shame other people. So I find like with my husband, with my son, you know, if I want them on board or my friends, I can't start with you have to do this or you're ruining the planet. I start with, for example, I made this great chickpea recipe the other night and it was so good that I told everybody about it. My husband loved it. It was vegetarian meal and he said, if every vegetarian meal is like this, I'm in. And then I gave the recipe to some friends who asked about it. That's a way of encouraging and not shaming, blaming my community. Whereas if I don't cook the vegetarian meal that night, I'm probably hard on myself for not doing it. But yeah, I see what you mean. No, no, no. I think that's the same thing with decluttering. I'm going to treat someone that's been pursuing minimalism. If you've been doing it for 10 years versus 10 weeks, it's going to look very different to say like, okay, can you go a little bit further? And it's the same thing with what you're talking about. And I do think we're the hardest on ourselves. So that's probably why I have that mindset. But I do like simple tips like using Pyrex instead of plastic baggies if we can. It might be a little investment on the front end. The front end, if you have to buy those, but yes, they pay off, not just in terms of reduced plastic, but in terms of expenses that you won't have in the future. And like you said, our water bottles, I've been using a stainless steel water bottle for probably eight years now. And I used to always use the plastics one, but actually I was noticing that those didn't even taste good. I prefer- I was just going to say, don't you think it tastes better in stainless steel? I really think it does. It stays cooler. It's, I love my bottle. Yeah. And I think people can get them in different sizes. So if they can fit in your purse and you can just have it on you, it's a benefit, not just because of the plastic, but you can stay hydrated. That was one of my favorite changes that I made. Yes. We have that in common. And then for people who don't want to invest in the Pyrex, the old fashioned mason jar, which is the whole base of the zero waste movement or the sort of the mascot of the zero waste movement, you can repurpose jars for leftovers, for for just about anything, for drinking glasses even. There are less expensive and upfront investments that you can make as well. People will come to my house and I'll offer them a glass of water, but it's in like a pasta jar, the aroused pasta jar that I've got at Costco. But we are definitely into keeping as many jars as you can because you're right. You can use them for leftovers, for water, whatever. I do oatmeal on them sometimes, like very jars. I don't know. I think it looks cool too. I think so too. I have a glass jar shelf that I had built in my kitchen, but I will say my husband is ready to for me to stop collecting jars because we have a lot and I keep collecting them. So I have to figure out another use for some of them or give them to someone who's just starting off in this area. We've got a lot of jars in a lot of corners of the house now. So I'm almost at risk of being accused of hoarding jars. (laughs) All right. Well, let's get to the third magic area. The third of the magic three is recycle right. Okay. The recycle bin audit that I talked about before is kind of my go-to way of getting people to open their eyes about two things knowing whether they're recycling correctly, because it does make a really big difference. If we throw things in our recycle bin that don't belong there, at a minimum, we're creating an efficiency in the system, but we also could be creating worker safety issues for the people who sort that. For example, plastic bags that don't belong in the recycle bin, when they end up there, they get caught up in the sorting rollers at these facilities and can really cause injury as they shut down the facility. So I like to recommend 
doing, it takes not really that long, 15, 20 minutes. You take your recycle bin. If you are one of the lucky ones in the U.S., about half of us have access to residential recycling programs. Take your recycle bin when it's pretty full, a day or two before it needs to be taken to the curb. Put everything out. Print out that really easy poster that they make available in all municipalities because they want you to get it right from your probably your Department of Public Works. They print out the poster or the rules around it and make sure you've got it right. But then try to notice the things that are repeats, like for me, the cereal boxes, right? I did a recycle bin audit for a client right before the pandemic who realized her family had a massive number of yogurt bins in her (laughs) recycle audit. She said, well, I don't have time. I'm a busy working mom. I don't have time to make my own yogurt. Then the pandemic hit and that was her pandemic project is she started making her own yogurt. And now she takes out that entire stream of waste that her family was creating. So it's not that you'll always be able to find an alternative that's more sustainable, but sometimes you can if you have an awareness about what's actually ending up in your recycle bin. I do have a question about that. I once heard, I think it was the minimalist, I went to see them speak and they were talking about recycling and how you're right. It's for example, like a Starbucks cup, there's plastic in it, but then there is paper and they can't be recycled, but people will throw them in there. Does it mess up the entire bin? But anyways, all that to say, I have heard that if you throw those plastic yogurt cups in the trash, it actually has fewer emissions if it goes to the landfill and is melted down than if it were to be recycled. So what happens when you get rid of your trash is one of four things. One is it depends on your municipality. It ends up in the landfill, big heaps, you can imagine. Secondly, it gets incinerated, which causes a lot of pollution. Okay. Third, if it belongs in the recycle bin and you put it there, it can be recycled if there's a market for it. We can talk about that. And the fourth is you put it with good intention in your trash or in your recycle bin, but it doesn't actually stay there because it blows around, plastic is light, and it ends up in our rivers, oceans, ecosystems, trees. You see plastic bags and trees. Yeah. So if the yogurt container is accepted, and most residential curbside recycling programs do accept it, what ends up happening to it depends on your municipality. Okay. If it's recycled into pellets that then get reconstituted as plastic, That's a good thing, but there is energy that goes into recycling as well, which is why your point much earlier in the podcast is reducing is an even better thing, right? So if we can avoid, believe me, I have lots of debates about people, is it better to buy a stainless steel bottle because it takes energy to make this or to buy a plastic bottle? You could get into endless debates about it, but the best always winning proposition is to just not have it to begin with. That's not possible for a lot of things, but for the things that are possible, like the case of my client who makes her own yogurt now, that's a much better proposition than having to figure out whether her yogurt bins are actually going to be recycled. Okay. When I heard the statistics of what can actually be recycled and how it's and I mean I live in Columbus we have a great recycling system here but when I heard some elements of it I was like oh maybe it's better to throw some of these plastics into the trash because they're going to get melted down versus not like all the I don't know that's a super good question it's a super good point because 
here are the basic four things that could get recycled when you put them in your bin, and they're probably accepted. Paper and cardboard, that's kind of one category. Metals, like aluminum cans. Okay, yeah. Glass, it's 100% recyclable, but doesn't always get recycled. That's another story. And plastics. Those first three categories, paper, metals, glass, if they can make their way to the places that need them as raw materials. Metals and glass are infinitely recyclable. Paper, cardboard, seven, eight times. Plastics, besides all those problems around plastics production, plastics only get recycled two or three times and then the polymers lose their integrity, which basically just means it falls apart and isn't actually recyclable anymore. So the reason that's important is when I do a recycle bin audit with someone, I look at the plastics pile. Okay. I want to know, are there things, for example, maybe a person is buying their St. Croix water in a plastic bottle, whereas they could be getting it in an aluminum can. That aluminum can is the better choice, I believe, because it will be immediately recyclable and there's a great market for recycled aluminum cans. Plastics, it depends. That black plastic that we get from our takeout containers, a lot of municipalities will not accept them. And the ones that do accept them, if they're honest, they're often not actually recycled because there isn't a great market for black plastic. Okay. So plastic, that really is where I think the focus ought to be. If you're trying to reduce your waste, try to find alternatives to the plastic packaging where possible. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like with zero waste, in a certain way, it's not a game, but like it can be fun to say like, what can I shift and what can I see in my life that I can shift? And again, I know convenience, especially most of my listeners are moms of little kids, like moms with kids in the home. And so we don't have a lot of time and we have to be really intentional about our time. But I think if we can kind of like see the puzzle of our life and say, oh, I can do this and I can do this and work on that for a season. Like, I think it's kind of fun to notice what we can do. I love that. And I have a friend who is not zero wasty, but basically says, gamify everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll tell you, when I started doing this, I actually took a piece of white colored tape and I put it in my recycle bin at the line where my recyclables came up to with my goal of getting below it the next week and the next week after that. So maybe that's me. I'm a nerd about this stuff. But you can create kind of some fun ways of thinking about it for yourself. And I love your idea of pick one thing this month, pick a different thing next month, because believe me, when you pick that one thing this month, if you're really good at it, it's not coming back. If you start getting in the habit of bringing your own cotton produce bags to the store this month, you're not going to start using the plastic next month. That's in your life, I think, pretty permanently. Yeah. And then you yeah. can move on to another challenge. I love that. And for busy people, most of us are, especially moms of young kids, it's just a great thing not to overwhelm yourself, but to challenge yourself to take on the next thing and the next thing. And pretty soon it does add up. You feel it, you see it. Absolutely. And it's the same as decluttering. I live by so many little rules. It's like the one in one out rule. And then it's if you can do something in one minute or less, you do it right then and there. And so all these little things do build on each other. And like you said, it doesn't seem daunting or like something that you have to remember on top of each other. It just becomes a part of your life. So you just add it in. Exactly. You kind of weave it in. It becomes a new habit. It becomes a new new mindset yeah. about yeah. things. Absolutely. Well, where can listeners pick up a copy of your book or connect with you online? So my book is available on the big places, Amazon and so forth, in your local bookstore. 
members. ZeroWasteNDC.com is my website, and I've got links to where you can get the book there, as well as more tips on, for example, how to avoid food waste, how to avoid plastic, and my blogs. So that's a great way. And I love taking questions from people. If anyone ever writes to me through my website, I'm always happy to engage in a dialogue about that. Great. Well, I didn't prompt you for this, but at the end of every episode, I do a quick fire round of two questions. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource to you that you want to share with the listeners? Yeah. So if you want more plant-based meals, which I was aspiring to a few years ago, and now I've gotten pretty good at, you need to make it easy for yourself and you need to have some resources. If I can cheat and give you two, my two go-to ones are the New York Times cooking app. It's not vegetarian, but they you can search for vegetarian meals and they've got great recipes. And my favorite one, the one where I made this chickpea recipe I told you about a few days ago that my husband loved is the Zero Waste Chef, Anne-Marie Bonneau. She's got a great cookbook called The Zero Waste Chef and everything I've made out of that cookbook has been, it's a plant forward cookbook and everything I've made in there has been delicious. All right. Well, my last question for you is what is something that you can't stop talking about? So the thing I can't stop talking about is composting. I was, I'm not a gardener and I had friends who composted and I thought, oh, composting is for my gardening friends. They need that soil that comes from it. No, composting is one of the best ways to get rid of your food waste, the inevitable food waste, you know, the coffee grinds, the eggshells, the vegetable peels, the stuff you're not gonna eat anyway, or the stuff that you could have eaten and it, it went bad. If you get your food waste into a compost pile, you are avoiding those methane emissions we talked about, which are the reason food waste is such a big environmental problem. And the reason I can't stop talking about it is because besides the aha moment around what a difference it makes is that in the DC area where I live, and I think across the country, there are more and more options for finding where you can get your food waste to a compost pile because you don't have to compost in your own backyard. You can, in DC, we have in different neighborhoods on weekend farmer's markets free drop-off places. That's one option in D.C. Washington, D.C. is introducing a pilot residential compost program, just like our recycling program. And then I'll share with you, there's a great app I discovered called Share Waste, which is like a dating app, but for connecting people who are looking for food scraps with people who want to get rid of their food scraps. And it kind of using some kind of GPS Google Maps system connects you to people in your area. And this is a global app. I had no idea about this until I was traveling to visit a sick relative and I was in this kitchenette and cooking all the time and wasn't at home and couldn't get rid of my food waste and suddenly found this app. And then I was you know, dropping off my food waste with this person I'd never met before, didn't meet them either, but I was dropping my stuff off in their side yard. <laughs> So really cool. Yeah, it's a really cool app. Yeah, cool. I was going to say, do you have like a great place to start when it comes to composting? Because composting is always with worms, right? No, not at all. Oh, yeah. Okay. If you're doing it yourself, you can do it in your own backyard. You don't need worms. What you need is browns and greens. You need your food waste mixed with things like leaves. The browns is like yard waste kind of stuff that... That composition, and it's that sounds very fancy, but basically that mixture of those two things, plus air, plus water, 
moisture essentially decomposes your food waste in such a way that it doesn't create methane and you end up with this rich soil. Now, if you're not a gardener and I'm not, then you give it to your friends or they come and pick it up because it's a great, the soil amendment is great stuff. But if you don't want to do it at home, yes, there are, by the way, apartment worm compost systems. You can buy them. They're compact for your smaller space. But you know, when I found out about how important this was, I paid someone to come pick up my compost. It was a small subscription once a week. They'd pick up this five gallon screw top bin. Yeah. And then I didn't have to worry about worms or anything. I just had someone okay. pick it up. Then I started using these free services, as I said, offered in Washington, DC. I don't know what they offer in Columbus, Ohio, but if you look it up, you can probably find something. And as I said, the Share Waste app is so cool because I've I've actually looked stuff up for people in Hong Kong. I mean, it's, it exists everywhere. Wow. Okay. So cool. I, well, that was informative for me because I've always wanted to, but I was like, I don't know if I want to deal with all these worms. <laughs> I love nature, but for some reason, I'm not big on worms. So I was like, I don't want to. I'm not big on worms either. So I totally yeah. get what you mean. And I don't have a worm compost system. Worms can accelerate the process. Okay. And if you're in an apartment and you just don't want that stuff, a worm system, vermicomposting is what it's called can be the solution. But honestly, I'm not sure I would do that if I lived in an apartment. I think I would probably instead just bring it to the farmer's market in my case. I've seen people do that even like people bring their big bucket of compost to the farmer's market. They did it when we lived in Clintonville. Like, well, this was awesome. I'll be sure to include everything in the show notes that you mentioned. And I feel like I've had a couple of people talk about zero waste and you somehow still mentioned things that I have not known and not heard of and have not been discussed. So I thought this was great. That makes me happy. Yeah, awesome. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.